and welcome back to the show with no name. Today, I'm going to call it the Send It to Zero show, where we talk about all the stuff that's super cool happening in Bitcoin that is never going to kill Bitcoin, according to people much smarter than us. So that's what we're going to talk about, all of the cool stuff on Bitcoin. Uh, I'm here with my partners in crime, Charlie, Bob, Danny. How are you guys? Doing great. Yeah, good. Great, thank you. How are you? Love it, love it. I love how I always, it's always hard to podcast, like you say what's up to people, and it's like, Charlie knows, like, to say what's up with things, so it's not like crazy mic over, over, <laughs> everyone's talking at the same time, so, uh, yeah. I'm ready for the metaverse when we don't end up talking to you over each other, we can read each other's body language a little bit better. A lot of people say, oh, the metaverse is overblown, but man, being able to communicate, like, the same kind of implicit, you know, the, all the, the holistic communication in the future of this digital age will revolutionize online communication. Like the Zuckerberg headset. That's the thing you're talking about, right? The one yeah, where which you, you can basically smell like, someone. Which apparently is still competitive because he put out that kind of knee-jerk <laughs> video the other day. I didn't see that. I'm was bullish. Is he, he so like, I'm still relevant? <laughs> like because of the Apple thing, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. He put out I, by the way, he was like, he was like so the quest is actually really good and the apple you know vision is it's good too but it it's got, it lacks some some things and then um zuckerberg actually came across pretty well but um you could tell he was trying to make sure that people didn't forget about the quest yep he was also wearing his like a plain black shirt you know looking simple not like a multi-billionaire uh he's accessible that's what a he's just, billionaire he's looks just like. one of you guys yeah, that's exactly, what you look exactly. like. If you're wearing Gucci print stuff head to toe, you're not a billionaire. That means that you're less than a billionaire and you're trying to look like a billionaire. But if you're a billionaire, that's what you look like. <laughs> is the Apple, sorry, is the Zuck, I forget what this thing's called, the Quest, is that what it's the called? The Quest. Is the, the competitive advantage that that has on pretty much everything else that's ever occurred is onboard processing instead of streaming the data, right? Like that's the point of it. Um, we could we could talk about this for forever. I think one of the competitive advantages for for Quest is that it's kind of embracing more of an open development as opposed to um, Vision Pro's Apple's closed development process. Um, I do think that's a compelling angle. Is in that if you look at the adoption of hardware throughout history, open usually wins out, but not always. Yeah, yeah, and price point. Like as as Zuck said, it's seven times cheaper. And the Apple Vision Pro, so you get that factor as well. But it looks like you're putting, you know, a plastic canister over your face, which is versus like the Pro actually looks halfway decent, like ski goggles. So, <laughs> either way, you look like an idiot on a subway doing that. But I don't think one of them is meant to be worn on the subway, and the other one like clearly is. I look for it. This is going to be fun to like look back in thirty years and like, you remember the first cell phone? We all joke about it. It's like it's like a military backpack. Like this yeah. bit's a two-hander, you know? And only 30 or 40 years, well, 30 years later, I guess, we have these phones that are like microscopic and devices that can do the same thing at you know, a fraction of the size. The headset's going to be this big in 20 years. But that thing is super funny right now. 100%. 100%. Okay, let's... Uh, metaverse is su super far in the future, so let's come back to things happening right now. Lots of Bitcoin things. Um, I, I'm down to start with the more degen thing first which is either runes or it's either Merlin chain. I'm pretty open to address both. I saw you deep diving into Merlin a little bit, Charlie. I did yesterday. There was so much TVL locked in that protocol. I'm like, 
shocked. Dude, it's huge. It's massive. So, People what's, have what, have, what have you seen? This is crazy to me. So... I mean, two weeks ago, it was you could tell that the people who were on the very edge of the degen, dialed in degens, they were they were starting to switch to turn on Merlin Chain, put the crystal balls in their Twitter profile, and um, researching it. But I don't know like what they could have researched because there was virtually no documentation. It was like exclusively marketing, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out what the hell this was. I finally got. Um, you know, a paper sent to me, which was like 10 pages and like 90% marketing, but had like three lines, which explained, oh, it's a polygon, like CDK, and it uses multi-party computation uh, to secure the assets. So I have figured out what it was at a high level. And um, so it's just basically running all the stuff on polygon. And it's a pretty much a glorified multi-sig right now. I think that's what it's going to be. But it, it, you know, it opens up a broader conversation of, you know, does it really matter? Because that's kind of what all the L2s on these other chains are anyway. They're kind of all just glorified multi-sigs. If you want to be a reductionist, I know there's a very, there's a wide range of trust assumptions across the board, but, um, I mean, it is, I think branding and marketing is incredibly important because it, if you can get users to bridge their assets over, you can drive forward activity and so it i mean how much is it is it like several hundred million dollars if i'm reading this number correctly it's it's over a billion now if i read that correctly wow. yeah it's like 1.1 billion um but this is where like i can't tell it looks like people are staking a bunch of stuff so it's like brc20s it's bitcoin and i think it's bitmaps and if it's well, bitmaps a lot of bitmaps bridged over I bet you there's a ton of volume code for that, which is like there's 800,000 bitmaps that are in existence where people minted for next to nothing because they just inscribed them. And then they've been sitting pretty much dormant selling for two to 400 and no one's selling because they all believe in the metaverse, whatever. Um, so like that number is way inflated because there's not buy pressure on that thing or people actually selling it. So like it, it looks huge because 100 people are buying bitmaps on a given day or something. But there's eight hundred thousand available. Yeah, so it's if you hover, if you hover over the number, it gives you a breakdown: forty million dollars in bitmaps, two hundred seventeen million in BRC four twenty, two hundred twenty-seven million in BRC twenty, six hundred eighty-five million in BTC. Six hundred eighty-five million in BTC. That's what they claim. Impossible to verify. Ugh. Yeah. I don't believe there's an explorer for this, is there, Bob? I have not seen one. There is a. I just did. I just did a little bit of digging. There's like no information whatsoever. So, the yeah. takeaways here are we have some magic thing that's happening, Merlin. <laughs> you know, magic, and all the DGens want to do is lock up their assets and earn token, and you throw them token and they will do anything and they will risk all kinds of stuff i mean this is what we saw with blast as well blast came out and said hey it's going to be awesome come you know one way one way deposit your assets and it'll be awesome and you'll earn all these things and hopefully in the future we'll let you get your assets bridged back out again maybe and that's what's happening here it's it's the blast model um 
which is, I mean, this is the DGEN casino crypto. Yeah, I would, if you think about it, it's pretty brilliant marketing because you have a bunch of, like, I would say, idle capital in ordinals. Now we can debate the, you know, the true TVL representation of that. But you, yeah, if you consider the fact that Bitmaps has generated considerable wealth on paper and these people to do something with it and they are the type of user who will do something with it give them a button to click and bridge their assets over and a big shiny number on a front end and they will do it so um ah. look as we all know because if this is this ain't your first rodeo or cycle um this works at the beginning of a cycle and i personally think that the risk assumptions are quite low compared as they might be towards the back end of one of these but um this is one of those things where you can you i heard the i heard the music spinning up and uh, now we're all going to start walking around the chairs and somebody will start pulling them out one by one but i think i think we have a you know the music just got started i mean you said risk profile is pretty low but honestly we don't know anything we don't know how the funds are custody we don't know who holds the funds we don't know who holds the assets it could be centralized team that just decides to run away with all the funds uh, tomorrow, and we wouldn't know. Yeah, I say trust assumptions in that there's only a couple people you have to trust. A <laughs> Nakamoto <laughs> coefficient of that always works out. One, that's never a problem. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well the. The fact it's done on Polygon is interesting. It opens up a question for me of like the term L2 is getting muddied very quickly and it's driving some people absolutely bonkers because they want to be like purist about trustlessness and all this thing. Um, and BitVM is making that also messy where it's like once you have one of one of N, uh, you know, minority trust assumptions, like you can peg into most sidechains relatively trustless. So any L2 sidechain becomes a Bitcoin, you know, sidechain. And you just say relatively trustless? Yes. Trustless-ish. It makes sense to go from Merlin to relatively trustless. Like these are all the same spectrum. Uh, <laughs> optimistic approach to trust assumptions. This yeah. is like um, mostly, mostly trustless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fast to lose with my words. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like. BitVM, if it works as they say, I think it makes pretty much L2 could be a Bitcoin L2 as far as like being able to bridge your Bitcoin in and get it back relatively trustless. Um, and so you learn nothing on this podcast, people. Sorry. Um, but so like that's the question is like if you could peg into actual Polygon, which is very robust and like working versus someone spinning up the open source code to make it Bitcoin focused, like this L2 thing becomes really freaking wonky to me. Um, like there's a, there's a narrative angle there. There's who's building apps in, in numbers. So like Merlin chain up high, have more apps on the Polygon stack than Polygon well. So maybe go to Merlin. Um, but yeah, this question of like what an L2 is now is there, it's like, I don't even know what to make of it anymore. And like where to put my Bitcoin. We need more words to describe the kind of range of, of Bitcoin abstractions we probably need a narrower term for L2 because it is becoming meaningless. Um, and I think we need 
you know, we need to say this references Bitcoin. This uses Bitcoin's data publishing layer. This is a strict layer two. This is a loose layer two abstraction. It side chains. So, um, you know, ETH has actually been pretty decent at some of this, where they've kind of defined different categories of like references to ETH. And I think we just copy paste a lot of those terminology. Yeah, so the the quick gist is everything claims to be a layer two on Bitcoin and nothing is. Literally nothing. Zero. <laughs> there are no layer twos on Bitcoin right now. Uh, zero, because Bitcoin can't do it. Bitcoin itself cannot verify validity proofs. You cannot have a true L2 on Bitcoin right now. So that's the that's the one sentence. Um, people try to change definitions, but if you look at like L2 beat on Ethereum, L2 beat did probably the best job on Ethereum of categorizing here's what an L2 is and here's what it is not. Polygon is not an L2 on Ethereum. Polygon is a side chain on Ethereum because it's a separate blockchain, separate consensus, additional trust assumptions. Um, I know a group doing an L2 beat for Bitcoin, and I'm hopeful that this will kind of clear up the muddied water on terminology because we can finally look and say, here's what you're doing. Here are your trust assumptions. That is a clearly a side chain. You know, we're, we're not going to call that a layer two. You can call it a layer two, but it's not. Like I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. So it's, I think it's releasing at ETH Denver. So here in a couple of weeks, um, and I'm hopeful that we can start some meaningful conversations around terminology that uh, the community can start backing and can call people out when they, you know, Merlin says, Merlin Seal, biggest fair launch of layer two. Um, and it's like, like people are going to use it for their marketing advantage. So, so you know how awesome. you go, yeah, shout out L2B probably one of the most important information streams to follow uh, right this time yes. and going forward. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, when you go to a savings account, like a bit like a bank and you put $5,000 in a savings account and then the bank is like, we can probably make 8% on that. So we'll give you back one or 2% and you're trusting them to do that. And it's a regulated authority and it's federally insured and yada, yada, yada. This is basically what is going on with Merlin right? Like, you're just like, I'm going to give these people this thing, assume they can make some money off of it and give me back a certain amount of it, except that it's totally unregulated and nobody's accountable for anything. So we're taking this thing that is decentralized yes. in the way that we like it to be. And then just being, giving it back to a bank essentially, except with none of the insurance. It's terrifying to me. That's a, it's a terrifying way to do things. You should be terrified. I am glad that someone is terrified. Feels good to hear you say that, Bob. <laughs> but if you want a 10x or 100x, you have to, you know, jump in the wild, wild west. Or, or a negative 10 or a negative 100x. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's making my job trying to find, like, where's the alpha at for, like, teams and stuff so damn hard. Um just because, like, everyone's doing ecosystem plays right now, trying to do L2s, and, like, I'm not too risky at the protocol level, so I'm looking for, like, the application stack level, but everything is up in the air right now. Like, I still think Rootstock could pop, you know, now that EVMs are becoming more normal. I love so, like, maybe... Rootstock take, Jake. Can you go into this a bit? Because I, I saw you say some stuff about this, and it got me thinking again. 
Luxor, we do uh, Rusak. We participate yeah. in Rusak consensus. So like, go off and yeah, kind of. I'll I'll give a, I'll give a little spiel because like everyone's heard of Rootstock. Uh, you know, Merge Mine Chain has uh, half the hash rate. Um, besides Foundry, they have pretty much all the larger miners. Everyone from Antpool to Luxor, and then once you get past Luxor, it gets in like the long tail pretty quickly. So like, yeah, good coverage there. Um, so that's pretty secure. Although there is some risk factor, just to like full disclosure. Given um, Antpool's current hash rate, they could 51% attack Rootstock currently. Um, so there's that. Um, but they've been doing it for a while. That's like biting the hand that feeds. There's some game theory there that's supposed to work. Um, but Rootstock is nice because one, they have currently the biggest DeFi platform on Bitcoin, which is Sovereign in TBL. Um, and all the L2s are doing these like EVM stacks, Polygon, you know, they're basically just moving ZK rollup stuff and EVM stuff into a Bitcoin sidechain with some kind of mechanism to peg in. If that works, Rootstock has a ton of stuff already built infrastructure-wise to be a first mover. And the thing no one's talking about is consensus. Like how is consensus reached? And until Bitcoin L1 does rollup, like verifying, there's some weird thing in the middle with centralization or you do stacks mining. So Rootslock, I think, has the best claim to pretty safe consensus um, if you're using that. So I, I would love to see Rootstock be a first mover for people who want to build on EVM on Bitcoin. And then as things progress, you can always technically start on Rootstock, build your DeFi platform there. If Rootstock pops, like you're good to go. You you made the right call. But if Merlin does pop, like, it's both on Polygon, which is built on Solidity. So it's like you could just bridge over there quickly and kind of like build two applications. So I I think I think if you're not going to go like L1 Bitcoin script, there's a pretty good dev angle here to build on Rootstock and then watch the landscape very closely and be a, a fast first mover. That's my Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. Uh, right model, wrong timing. Um, right. And then... I kind of wonder, so like everybody and their dog is doing EVM on Bitcoin. It's <laughs> it's it's already a month into the frenzy, too much to keep track of. Um, do you think this is a winner take all? Do you think this is a winner take most? Do you think this is diverse? Do you think anybody wins? Uh, I'm not well, really I, sure how this plays out. What, what's interesting is I've been trying to think about, and this is like work related, but I'm trying to think about what, what does network effects look like in Web3? And for the most part, I don't think Web3 has very good network effects. Like it has really good viral loops. Like you do an airdrop that builds FOMO. One centralized issuer becomes 1,000, which becomes people FOMOing in, it becomes 10,000. But each, the, net, the network effect definition is that each additional user adds value to the previous users. And airdrops don't do that. So most Web3 mechanics aren't actually network effects, which means they don't have staying power. The only network effect I could see besides like Magic Eden's like two-sided marketplace is actually the ecosystem. Like ETH is expensive. Um, like it's it, it, there's so many be better ways to use Ethereum as like as, as an asset, but ETH still has all the liquidity, like by a huge market share. So there's something there about like once you get enough applications and liquidity there it has its own network effect that you don't want to go to the L2, even though it's better. So 
I think there's something there of like where the ecosystems go, it's hard to say. But once one pops, there's a pretty good chance that one becomes the dominant one with like two or three like ones that that, that uh, have some market share and then the long tail drops off fast. Whether that's rootstock or stacks or liquid or whatever. Um, but it is interesting because outside of the big three, which I call liquid, rootstock, and stacks, like they each have their own language, clarity, solidity, and simplicity slash Bitcoin script. On the EVM side, like, I don't know where that's going to go. Like, that's an open question for me. So I don't know. I, there, I guess there's like a tension there of like Stacks is in the news right now. Everyone's all hyped on Stacks and it has its own language. But that doesn't mean that EVM is going to be huge because of all of its infrastructure plays. So I don't know. Yeah, EVM and SVM is gaining popularity. I want, I mean, a lot of people have kind of hung their hats on the EVM narrative and I don't see that as a guaranteed deal. I think there's a lot of ways of, of performing computation on or off chain. And I think that's all back on the menu, especially as a lot of this now starts to reference Bitcoin. If you have a robust virtual machine of some kind or some way to perform compute, it makes sense that um, it's a little bit more blue ocean turning back to Bitcoin. Because um, all you need to do is publish or compute that to Bitcoin some way. Um, I see Bob nodding his head. Bob, you probably have some insights. I mean, you're the internet computer guy, ICP. So like, you may have some thoughts there too. Yeah, I mean, I, I see lots of network effects on, on the Ethereum side because of the developer infrastructure required. There's, I think when you have a new ecosystem with a new language, with a new compute environment, um, you have this hurdle that you have to overcome which is essentially build all the tools you need uh, for DeFi and for NFTs and for lending and for DAOs. And that's non-trivial. Uh, if we look at examples, most L1s with a new computing environment struggle for this exact reason. Um, and the only chain that perhaps has been able to overcome this is Solana. And that's because of massive capital injection that resulted in token spike, which results in more attention, which results in more devs, which results in more funds to pay people. And so you have this huge, uh, you know, surge essentially. And so I think Solana was able to recover so well from the drop uh, that they had post FTX because they already got over this initial infrastructure hurdle and they already had all the pieces in place. It was easy for devs to go in um, and get started they had the rails that that you know the payment rails and other things and so uh i think solana has made it over that but if you look at other l1s i mean where else have we seen massive development activity like that uh we we haven't and it's because you haven't made it over this l1 uh infrastructure hurdle i think and so that's i to me that is that is one of the reasons why there are network effects on ethereum is because you're already over that um, in infrastructure hurdle. Uh, you could argue that another one is liquidity, um, getting liquidity. And once you have liquidity, it's much easier to get more liquidity. I think that's the second network effect where there's just so much liquidity on Ethereum. Um, so like if, if you look at the approach that uh, build on Bitcoin, BOB is taking, it's an optimistic roll up on Ethereum intentionally with awesome Bitcoin tech 
um, because they want to tap into the native liquidity on Ethereum. That's kind of their play, is they want to be an optimistic L2 on Ethereum with Bitcoin ties, specifically to try to get liquidity from Ethereum, which I think is a pretty smart play. Pretty smart play. I'm super bearish on that. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've seen that it sounds good. I've, I've tried to figure out because like, you know, we there's some pe some people in stacks like Alex that have done the ETH to Stacks Bridge to try and do that exact thing. No one uses it. And when you look on like the RAT BTC on Ethereum, none of it's in DeFi protocols. It's all just sitting in the asset for price exposure. So I think, I don't think getting from ETH to Bitcoin's that hard, um, especially if you just want to like sell and move over. So I'm, I'm, I don't think people are going to move in mass through bridges from ETH, even if it's easy. Um, if they want to be here, they want to be, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to get over here for the most part. Like there's lots of exchange infrastructure. Um, I do think the EVM thing you said is all like hundred percent correct. Like, I think one thing that's not going to work is anybody trying to launch an L2 with no token. That's not EVM. Like there's zero chance that works because the, the bootstrapping effects of like trying to survive that bootstrapping phase with no token and build infrastructure and educate devs is like such a heavy lift. Um, Challenging, yeah. Which is, which is what, that's what a token gives you. Like it gives you initial funding to focus devs on these problems that you want to solve that are already solved on EVM. So my only counter is bridging ETH to stacks is worse than bridging ETH to an optimistic rollup. You get yeah. trustless bridging in the case of bridging from ETH to an optimistic rollup, whereas you have trusted bridging going from ETH to stacks. So I would say, I mean, there's already lots of TVL on ETH L2s. And so I would is, argue is that's it. Is, is there though? Because like I think I, when I searched it, it was like 70% of the market share is still on the L1, even though it's much cheaper to transact on the L2. Yeah, I would say what, 10 billion? What is... uh? What's locked on L2s right now? Oh, it's up to 23 billion. 23 billion TBL across. On, on ETH L2s? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's that's significant. Um, so, take... I mean, I, I, I think that bridging is easier to stomach than bridging to something like Stacks. So, I think there's more, more hope for... Uh, being able to capture some of that liquidity on on the BOB side, for example. Yep. It's just a really good time to have a token on something that references Bitcoin right now. And I'm not even... I'm going I'm to launch one tomorrow. Yeah. Coming, I'm just not... I'm, I never like being the guy to say that, and I'm always the... I always want to be critical of, you know, anything being tokenized, but... It's very clear the meta going forwards is to get token exposure to these things. We should we should do a, a theoretical exercise where we launch our own L2 um, hypothetically right now, yeah. and we each get to pick move outside the United States first. Ah. Okay, you can live <laughs> I can, I can anywhere you, you want. <laughs> you can live I'll anywhere you tomorrow. want. Yeah, Donnie. How about you? You all get to pick one thing, the thing you care most about for this L2. We can uh, build our own L2, like Build-A-Bear. Yep. like build our yep. L2. Yeah, let's Build-A-Bear. Uh, token, token or no token? I'm thinking token. I think we go token. 
I think this is yeah. brilliant. Like, there's so many launch pads for like audio collections. We need a launch pad for L2s just to bring the barrier yes. down. It's too it's too yes. hard to launch an L2. Well, that's supposedly <laughs> what BVM network is, which is a modular build it yourself L2 that I can't figure out what okay. it actually is. Um, but that's the branding for it. I think it's an optimistic roll-up on an optimistic roll-up on Ethereum that has some potential ties to Bitcoin eventually. Is it called optimistic roll-up? If you're kidding or you... not. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm dead serious. It's called optimistic roll-up because you have to just believe that it's going to work out. <laughs> you have to be so optimistic. The, the cup isn't just half full. It's just... It's overflowing and shooting out the top. That's how optimistic you are. Yep. We're going to the mode. Uh, okay. Let's, let's, let's transition into, I want to talk about roads uh, and like hard coding. I think we got some, some early alpha or like some clarity on some rune stuff. Again, I haven't followed super closely. If you guys have anything to discuss, I'd love drop it on us. Yeah. I don't have a, I I only finally recently got interested in runes. Um, I I really I enjoyed Casey's post on it. I enjoyed the flurry of activity after it. And I kind of checked out personally on what is what are runes even because it's pretty clear that what are, you know a bunch of these other people are going to launch their other runes standards adjacent or similar to it. But everyone is waiting with expectant breath for block eight or forty k. Casey's finally kind of settled on an actual standard. No documentation, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, the most documentation is really the Hell Money podcast and interpreting the implementation. Um, so I finally kind of got interested again. Uh, and yeah, what do you think, Donnie? I think it's exciting that everyone's excited about something and that everyone is just trying to like make claims and everyone's trying to put a flag on the moon that no one can get to at the moment. So like, it's going to be fun to see how they end up getting those flags down. And I like that Casey was just like, you can't. I did. It's they made ten that are just hard coded in. No one can get there first, really, and like claim their thing, you know. So like, it's been made fair. The game is fair enough, anyway. I think at this point, and you can buy your way into being the eleventh, but you can't buy your way into being the one through tenth, which is cool. Um, I really dig that you have to destroy the UTXO to spend it, and you don't just end up with a wallet littered or actually tons of wallets actually bob i think you a long time ago like six months ago or something posted a tweet that showed utxo um numbers like raw numbers from 2014 through 2023 and there was a sharp uptick uh, clearly from like us and from you know like inscriptions and mostly brc20s which the question i have is what does that even do to the network like does it actually do anything or is it just annoying for all the people who have all these like hundreds of thousands of sats just sitting around in transfer inscriptions that are useless at this point. Like, is that actually bad for the network? Is it heavy? Is it... It makes the storage... It makes the storage requirements for nodes slightly higher because you have to store all T, all UTXOs currently that are spendable um, have to be tracked. And so, like, you, you can kind of think of it, like, from the beginning of time, it's tracking, like, it's, it's creating and destroying unspent outputs and that balloons and slowly gets bigger as there's more outputs it's always keeping that in in storage um there was some debate amongst some of the maxis of like is that kept in ram meaning like once we get above 32 gigabytes 
this becomes a Raspberry Pis across the world are going to crash. It's Y two K all over again, and that's not the case. Uh, so it's it's flushed to storage periodically and then brought back in when it's spent. Um, but yeah, if that number gets too big, like you have storage, as as Charlie said, you have archival nodes that are like storing everything, and there's like the data, and then there's the UTXO set, and they can both grow together. So if like everything is just um, stamps, for example, technically the UTXO set could grow to like another 60 gigs per year. So like the two numbers I think you have to play with there is like four megabyte blocks could get you to 210 gigs per year, and then the UTXO set could go to 60 gigs per year. So that's 260 max growth per year, which means you got to buy another terabyte hard drive every four years. Like that's the limit like, as far as that. Like the maxi argument that inscriptions are going to bloat the nodes is really, really dumb. The argument or concern that the, the UTXO set ballooning could harm like harder performance and make it harder to run node. That's a valid criticism. Uh, it could also have some good effects. It could drive more dynamism across how people run nodes, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, it is a good valid criticism and it's generally assumed to not be a, a super healthy thing for the UTXO set to really bloat. That's kind of a, the general idea. So even if it didn't have um, any benefit whatsoever for the network at large, though, it still has benefits for anybody who wants to partake in shitcoining because they now get to not have hundreds of thousands of sats just littering their wallet, probably on the taproot side where they're never going to go and they're never going to really know how to spend them unless they get out into Sparrow and they like figure out some actual UTXO management, which again, maybe good that BRCs did that because it'll motivate people to get into Sparrow and actually learn how to use the Bitcoin network just a bit more. So I'm glad that we had BRCs. And I'm glad that ruins are on the way in order to solve this potential issue for not just the network, for, for like people who just want to mess around. Something else that I think is exciting about it is that it's compatible with Lightning. To go back to the not an L2 discussion, because it could completely remove a lot of this trading from the main net, which is, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or it's negligible, but because like then we don't get mining income from that quite as regularly. But is that what we are is that yeah. what we want to lean on? Well, theoretically, it's compatible with anything that's UTXO-based. So any kind of abstraction, which is really cool. That's kind of the dream and the idea. If you want to try to set up a fungible token standard on Bitcoin, designing it like runes actually is pretty brilliant. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm kind of surprised that for all of the talking and discussion about which runes are going to be hot, I, I, I like I log on to Twitter and I see people like in these spaces for hours and hours a day and they're all discussing their opinions on which runes are hot, uh, you know, their opinions on KC hard coding and into the Ord client or not. Um, and I don't and, and most of these people have no have made very little attempt to actually understand how runes even work, which kind of blows my mind. And I guess I, I should be expecting this, but some of the people with the most strong opinions about runes are the ones with the least understanding about them, which brings us to the the hard-coded 10 of the first 10, which I personally, depending on how I wake up, I either love it or am neutral about it. I don't hate it. I think it's it makes total sense to take the first one. But then I also want to, like, tell the people, like, you can just remove, I think it may be as simple as just removing the flag or the lines in the org client, which say these 10 runes are the first are hard-coded you can just run a fork of that and not abide by it but 
the whole point of all this is social consensus around being Casey's standards. So then that that brings all with it the whole kind of Casey package of it's Casey's wild idea and he's gonna implement it how he wants. And so uh Well and yeah. and and because it's social consensus driven, if Casey takes the first ten, then we're probably gonna have five or ten tokens that are trying to be the first true fairly acquired runes on Bitcoin because you know if they were pre-programmed in there's 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 always a way to define it to get social consensus in a way that makes sense and so inevitably there will always be projects claiming certain firsts uh and you know depending on the the virality of the idea or you know how how much it makes sense to someone depends on probably how much traction they get yeah. Yeah, I think in, in runes, 11th is first, not first is first. <laughs> I think that's why he did 10. Because if he did one, they'd be like, yeah, but that one doesn't count. And then he was just like, but if we do two? Well, and everybody's going to go, that one doesn't count. But if you do 10, you've done a whole like zero set extra. And then you have the 11th. Like, what is the 11th? He said specifically that he wanted to take away the single digits because it's runes zero through nine. So the 11th one is actually number 10. Hmm. I get that. That makes sense to me. That's why it's 10. Uh, a lot of people are like speculating, is he like designing this? You know, does he have his own plans? I I don't think people realize just how kind of just openly, how just open case he is that he has really no idea that he's workshopping this out in the open and that this is not some grand design, but rather more of a fun game to him. And everyone assumes a lot more design than there is the design happened on the plane on the plane flight back from Singapore, where he sketched it out to Aaron and talks about that. Beyond that, it's kind of just workshopping it as he uh, as he uh, discusses it live on. Do you think and you this can... is how religion forms? Like, what do you think happened two or three thousand years ago? Like, how did every? <laughs> do you think no, some guy was just a like science fiction book? And you yeah, what if you do this? What? Yeah, okay, we actually that Yeah. It's already happened a few times. <laughs> well, I think this is another one. I think everyone's like, we can't quite get in touch with Casey and ask him the questions. So we're just going to make shit up. Yeah, Casey builds protocols like he does his like, freestyle dancing. It's just like off the cuff. He's going with the flow, man. Uh, yeah, but there's <laughs> secret messages in those dances. So like, watch for your right. carefully. Look, look what he's pointing at on the wall at minute 17. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. Uh, quick question on the hard coding. So like he's... He's hard-coded the first 10, which is 0 through 9. How are new ones... How do people claim new ones? Is it like one per block or some kind of... Like, what does that process look like? Oh, it's just a deploy transaction. Uh, it's okay. it's limited to, what, 13 characters first? Yeah. So it has to be 13 characters, and then every certain amount of time, it drops a character. Um, four months or so. He kind of divided... Yeah. He divided... So the character reduces by one count each four months or so. It maps onto the having pretty well. It's actually pretty cool. I think this is the probably the least understood part of runes is that Casey is very much a numerologist, a new number file, if you will. And um, that's, in my opinion, the coolest part of the That's actually why I'm most excited about runes is because he's thought a lot about the uh, how to issue them in a way that's creative, um, delays gratification for people. Um, because if you want this standard to be more than a flash in the pan, two-month hot thing it needs you need to think kind of four years in advance and that's impossible to do in crypto that is an inf that's just that's generational time 
in our world. So you know you can only set the this you can only set the uh, the rule set so presciently, and I think that it makes sense. Um, I don't know how to design a shitcoin token standard, but this seems <laughs> fine to me. Quick note on 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 the UTXO set. We've had about eighty million UTXOs all time, uh, from the beginning of time until when Ordinal started, and since that time, we have now had eighty million more in the last year. Um, so that's the the current state of growth, and you can see a little blip when the uh, the Sofon was was deployed because UTXOs went up and then UTXOs started coming back down and then they started going back up again once once it was no longer there. So, yeah, pretty interesting. That's my favorite inside joke in Bitcoin in 2023 is the bot that was chewing up or front-running all of the PRC launches. Yep. You know, with 10 years, I'm going to be like, I was there for that. I watched that happen. In fact, I took advantage of it because it took some pressure off the network, like notice a yes. noticeably huge amount. Yes, it did. Yeah, it's. I think it's also funny. I think that bot that Rendell did caused Atomicals to add their like micro proof of work thing. So like when you submit a transaction, you compare there's like a little bit of, of, of proof of work. So that if the SoFOM was going to front run Atomicals transactions, it would be, it would show up as invalid because it wasn't proof of work there. So it's like that little micro thing from my understanding was like a countermeasure to beat the SOFON for the Atomicals protocol, which is uh, yeah. pretty clever. I, I mean, yeah, you could beat the SOFON, but then there's more SOFONs deployed and there's more, if, if it comes down to transaction ordering, this is this happens at the block producer level. Yep. And that's where all the fun is. We haven't seen it happen at scale yet. I think that once that Pandora's block is open, <laughs> Uh, we could see, we could see some real shenanigans happen. Uh, I I don't think we've even begun to see the shenanigans. Well, hey. we've begun to see a little bit of them, but it's going to get more shenanigans. Yeah, that's that's actually probably a good segue because we're coming up on an hour, so let's do like one more topic. And everyone's talking about the having, and it's going to be, is it first epic set, first epic set mind? Uh, so there's a lot of people. Talking about okay, fourth epic set. People are talking a lot about miners are going to be uh, aggressively fighting for that first post having block, and it's going to be like deep reorgs and like it's going to be very. There's a lot of value in that block potentially. I don't know. Um, I'm curious, like your guys' thoughts on this kind of thing. I have some opinions. I kind of I was trying to be kind of first out the gate with some of these, but as far as I see it, the Landscape of block producers do not really have on the radar the epic sat. Yes, a considerable amount of the hash rate is pulling uncommons, but it's a rel relatively unsophisticated understanding of what's going on. I don't think that's going to be a motivation. What is going to be motivation is if we see a massive fee spike in those first blocks for the first eight block 840k or the ones uh, right after it, that will create incentive for reorgs because the pools have logic in their block construction and in their mining strategy to optimize to capture these fee spikes, especially when they're easily telegraphed. 
We saw this with the D Gods block. In fact, that was one of the deepest reorgs, three block reorg that we've seen in a long time. And I specifically point to that because I think that is the case study we look at. And I also think it should kind of terrify us a little bit that it's possible because if we look at the fact that I believe Coinbase and other major institutional custody models um, have six blocks as safe for consumers, then three, or if we see four block reorgs, that gets like scary close to um, like demonstrating empirically that like there is incentive to reorg these. And it, um, so this should be a discussion point, I think, for a lot of people, especially as we head into the halving. Pretty sure Coinbase reduced their number of confirms to like two. We've seen a three of block reorg, then, you know, Coinbase maybe, I'm sure Coinbase has other safeguards and measures in place, but like, yes, I mean, I don't know if everybody does. I think a lot of wallets or um, like hot wallets haven't, I'm, and I'm not super familiar with the logic in there, but like they could be at risk. Some of the smaller custodians too. Yep. Yep. Do what's the thinking for why this could be a massive spike in those first few blocks? Like what's the behavior that's going to happen? Do we know? Runes, baby. So imagine this. I mean, even if people aren't trying to just deploy deploy their first rune token, like if Casey's already hard coded ten Degen runes, there's going to you want to mint it. Yeah, everybody's. He's, he says, "quote I'm going to be there degening these at the same time you are." I can imagine a scenario, whether it's Casey or some other thing, it's two months a long time. People will be wanting to mint these. Um, imagine Arsic continues to being hot. They deploy it, announce this is the token immediately. That block, next block, become the absolute mm. wildest blocks for people to try to etch out the rune fully. So. Well, yeah. and if if if, if you think about BRC twenty already for those that got in early and held, did like a twenty five thousand x, and so when you have that kind of precedent set for new tokens on Bitcoin, people will think, oh, well, if already has a billion dollar market cap, then that means the first rune token or the first ten rune tokens have the potential to have a billion dollar market cap. So why wouldn't I spend? you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in fees to acquire early tokens. It's like, you know, traffic is going to be bad for the whole month leading up to Christmas or like, because everyone wants to return things after Christmas. It's not because that's the reasonable time to do it, but like, it's the time everyone knows. We're just like, we mark a date and we go, this is the date. And everybody goes, okay, that's the date. And I think everyone's just going to do a bunch of stuff because that's how people do things. They're like, you know, you walk by the bar empty you don't go in if it's busy you're like i better try to get in there and you'll wait outside for four hours to do it um i think just the idea that it might be busy gets people wanting to make it more busy one interesting last mechanic that i'll identify is if we look at how fees ramped up in may of last year and december of this past year those are a little bit different in the kind of fee ramping up because it begins because you have an accumulation of fees bidding higher than the previous one and when it happens so rapidly, you could have weird, almost like barbell scenarios in the block as far as fee distribution. You have a ton of long tail, extremely high fees. Um, and then, you know, a bunch, which is like normal. And I don't know how this, this is very path and scenario dependent, but this is what we saw in the D gods block. And I think just imagine a bunch of D gods blocks back to back to back to back. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. That, that makes sense. Like nothing, like like you said about, uh, you know, everyone going the same direction, Donnie, like nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. So like DJs speed on DJs and regions, it just gets crazy. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, I actually got one more topic I want to quickly discuss. Let's do this in like the last five minutes, then we can close it out. The universal sat symbol. I want to touch on this. How did we forget about this one so far? Yeah, I did, hopefully it don't went too long because there's a lot to talk about here. But uh, yeah, Synonym, which is like the crazy bit kit, suggested a universal sat symbol, which is basically the Bitcoin symbol, but they change the formatting to make it look different. Um, and the basic idea here, I guess like a slight preamble for people to give some context, like sats aren't real. It's kind of a social consensus thing, mainly because the protocol has eight decimal places it can go to fractions to. And so if you do the numbers like 100,000, and then you get two decimal places for the million, then you round over and you get one Bitcoin. But if you, if you parse it out, it looks like a hundred million. So that's how we kind of get to sats. Um, so they're trying to move it to, it's just the B symbol. And when you're displaying sats, you just have it as one number with like spaces in certain places to tell that you're talking about sats and not Bitcoin as a full thing. I like it. I'll just say that. I'm a fan, uh, but I'm curious your guys' take. I'm all for new notation schemes and imagining how to repackage and re-communicate Bitcoin. Um, this makes a lot of sense. I don't, I think it'd be only confusing for existing Bitcoiners, but the other 7 billion people out there need something which is very simple to understand. I've, I haven't fought this battle, but I've always been the bits guy. A bit is one one millionth of a Bitcoin. You ask your dad or your mom, what do you call like the smallest unit of a Bitcoin? They will tell you it's probably a bit. Mm -hmm. A bit is one one million, not a hundred billion. And originally sats were called bit cents. A lot of the OGs in Bitcoin, like Adam Back, kind of like bits. So um, bit cent parity is my personal reference. Um, but I'm all for trying to reimagine these. I think Sats was a bit downstream of uh, the lightning push in Bitcoin because you want to, you know, communicate the smallest unit you can in lightning. Um, and so that's why Sats became the main like shelling point for the past three or four years of Bitcoin culture. But really go back five years, very few people use Sats. Everybody said uh, denominations in Bitcoin. Good. Bob, Donnie, thoughts? Bob, you want to go? Yeah, I don't know that I really have a preference. Um, from a from a user experience perspective, it makes sense to show the shortest number possible. Um, so for like an NFT marketplace or Ordinals marketplace, you're going to want to show a small number, not a very large number. Large numbers are just generally hard to interpret. So what we've ended up doing on our on on Bionic is if you have a large Bitcoin number, then we basically just round to the significant, the then you know maybe three or four significant figures. So you know zero dot zero zero one BTC, like that's pretty pretty intuitive. But if you get to you know the like one k Sats range or the ten k Sats range, then we just display it in Sats. So you know one you know one k Sats, nine k Sats, and we just show it as nine k Sats. Um, we don't even show like an exact number 
until you actually get to other other places. So this, you know, we, we show Bitcoin at some places when you have a bigger value because looking at, I don't know, 93,462,222 uh, sats, like that's pretty unwieldy number. Like you don't need that kind of specificity. Um, so we've gone with the double approach where large values are shown in BTC, small values are shown in sats. Um, kind of annoying, but you know, feels feels okay from a user perspective. Okay, Paul, 10 years from now, do you think we'll be using SATs or something not SATs? SATs, for sure. SATs. I have difficulty with this because we do need a notation for it. Like the dollar sign currently is what we would use for SATs because it's an S with the Bitcoin stuff on it, you know? So, or rather the Bitcoin B is a B with the dollar thing on it or, you know, whatever you want to say it. Sats makes sense to me when Bitcoin is a hundred million dollars and we are using Sats as a dollar, or when Bitcoin is a million dollars and we're using Sats as a penny, because like it's sort of easy to notate that. But this, the short story that I'm trying to tell, rather the short version of the long story, is that people are just going to do what they're going to do, and I think everything sort of evolves as people come across friction. Something just takes charge, so it it like doesn't matter what we think or what the website thinks about like advocacy for new symbols and new don denominations of currency people will just do as makes sense for them tiktok is going to decide this not us that's a good lie mm. tiktok will decide that's a bar. like I, that's a bar I, in 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 the way that i view bitcoin it's not for daily transactions like it's not for coffee as we like to think it is and it may be at some point when there's like you know actual l2s or, or payment systems that actually dollars. run on what's that <laughs> When a co when a coffee is a trillion dollar purchase, yeah, yeah, right. Or when it's a point zero 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 whatever, and there's no friction because everything's on a roll up that actually works and does solve the trilemma or whatever. Like when that happens, then we can worry about how to denominate it. But in the meantime, it Bitcoin like to me is a long term store of value, and I don't need to talk about how much a coffee costs if it's quadruple one, because I'm not going to buy a coffee with Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I guess I would say if TikTok's going to drive the culture and you have bias as a thing for newbies, then sats are definitely going to win. And you're seeing this with the ETFs where it's like, you can't afford a whole Bitcoin, but you can you can afford a thousand shares of BitB or whatever it is. So if you can have like a thousand sats, that makes you feel a lot richer than 0, 0.00 whatever. Uh, way more fun. It's way more fun. So let's, let's yeah, sats to the middle. Whatever Justin Sun denominates his chain in <laughs> is what is going to happen and there's nothing we can do about it. This is that still going on? Really? Oh, that's another podcast. Oh, what well, a great name! Week. I love we'll that week. Cool. Would I ever gonna? Would I? Would I ever gonna like talk about what we're even talking about? But Justin's son, the the prodigal son of Tron, um, Bitcoin things. That's all we're gonna say. Uh, yes. One thing though, I'm curious on your guys' perspective. I so we're talking about Bitcoin fractions and sets. How do you guys feel about always having USD price close by so you know exactly how much Bitcoin you're giving up? I'm a big fan of that because I'm always like, how how poor is this going to make me buying this quantum cat? If I don't know, I have to go BTC price token on Google, type in my fraction, okay, I'll be that poor. Like, I think it's really important just, right now. I'd rather see it right all now. the time. I was tasked with making a like an Ordinals 101 thing for for a server, and one of the first things I did was, how much Bitcoin is this? And I said, one Bitcoin equals this much ETH equals this much soul. 
And because like nobody's really thinking in US dollars, they're thinking in other currencies that they normally operate within mm -hmm. these ecosystems. And I tried to give like three different examples of one Bitcoin is this, 0 0.05 Bitcoin is this, and 0 0.001 Bitcoin is this. Because when I first started messing around in ordinals, I blew through like all the money I had in no time because it was like always 0, 0.0 something. And I was like, that's not, it's not real. It's not money. <laughs> so I don't know if USD is necessary, but having some sort of measurement system to like have an analog, <laughs> what, how much Bitcoin this really is or how much money this really is, super important. Depends on how much of a maxi you are. If you measure things in Bitcoin, then you don't need it because you live and breathe Bitcoin. If you are still living in the normal world, denominated in fiat currencies, then you need it. And so it just it just depends. That's exactly why I asked, because if you're on the Bitcoin standard and you're reading, you know, Safadine is your guy, then you're like, having dollars there is rotting your brain X percent. So you need to rid yourself of that and just go full BTC. But I'm like, in the interim, I think it's totally needed. But the yeah, like true cares. It's going to be USDC, USDT, or one of the new hot stables coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So put a stable next to it. Keep it all. Let's just do, I mean, I like... I like sovereign stable coins, DLLR dollar. Like that's got an aspirin to it. Let's, yeah. let's get behind that. Yeah. Go back to our so, Bitcoin thesis. One, one, one comment I recently heard from from a Bitcoin maxi is if you're always trying to measure back to the dollar, um, like how are you? Like are are you certain that you're on the boat and you're comparing to the dollar on the sand, or maybe you need to go think about yourself standing on the sand and Bitcoin is the appropriate denomination. And then there is no like good comparison. Fiat currencies are going to inflate to infinity. And so why are we comparing to something like that when Bitcoin is the currency that is on the sand? So anyway, that's like a, that's deep. It's all right. Anything else guys, or should we close it out? I think that was a great. No, I could do this for 15 more minutes. So I think that's, next time yeah always let's call it vision i gotta hop yeah so all right guys till next time later